Fearscape Media Network. Exploring the unknown, one podcast at a time. Hi, friends. This is Kelly with Wishful Drinking and Binge Thinking, the podcast where I get just absolutely hammered and I dole out psychological advice. That's right, I am going to be more drunk than that girl you met in the bar bathroom after your karaoke set who said, you have such good stage presence, oh my god. That's right, zero preparation, multiple drinks, countless profound gems. Tune in the last Monday of every month on Fearscape Media Network. Ghosts in the Attic's Bodies in the Basements may contain graphic, violent, vulgar, or explicit content not suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Ghosts in the Attics, Bodies in the Basement. It's Lindsay. I apologize if I sound a little weird today. Um, As you all know, here in the Northern Hemisphere, we are slowly but surely approaching springtime. This episode actually comes out at the start of March. So yay, we did it. We survived winter. And I've been over the cold. I hate cold. I hate being cold. I don't like being like super, super hot either. I hate the cold. It like hurts me. But because of that, it was like 80 degrees last week. And then it dropped down to like 40 degrees for a few days. And then today it's supposed to be back up to like 80 degrees with a lot of wind. And so my sinuses are just not a fan. And I woke up this morning and my voice or my uh, throat is just off. But I've got my hot coffee and hopefully that helps out. So yeah, I apologize if I sound weird. Oh, that is very hot. But yeah, I'm ready for warm weather. Um, and I'm ready for it to stop going up and down. Like, that's what I feel like is the worst about winter, at least in my area in Texas, is that, like, it can get really, really cold. Like, we've had snow, ice, all that just this year. Um, and that's not a strange thing you know uh, people get shocked by that but like no like we get nasty weather sometimes maybe not to the same level as like the northern part of the country but we get nasty weather but um all throughout winter it just goes up and down up and down fall winter and spring up and down and one day it's super warm one day it actually feels like the season it's supposed to be and then summer as hot as it can get with triple digits sometimes in the 110s at least it's consistent, you know? <laughs> you know what you're getting. Um, 
But, you know, the other day we were talking about whether and my good old friend Blake said that he never expected Texas to be so similar to Kentucky in the sense of like the weather not being able to make up its mind. I think it happens a lot more often in a lot of places. But anyways, Kentucky brings me towards our topic for today. And um, as you all may or may not remember, I am originally from Kentucky. I was born and raised living there until I was about 19. Um, And now what you all also may or may not know is that a new movie came out this weekend. Elizabeth Banks's Cocaine Bear just came out on February 24th. And honestly, I want to see it. I like never get a chance to go to the movie theater. So like, obviously I did not see it on release weekend, but it seems kind of silly, but also like intense. And I really like comedy mixed in with the more like horror, I guess you could call it. Cause it's kind of like, he's like a monster kind of, I don't know what we would consider that. But anyways, um, but for those of you who don't know, the story of Cocaine Bear is a real one that is pretty iconic in my home state. And yes, uh, Cocaine, Bear, Cocaine Bear is a real story, but the the movie in Hollywood obviously made it a lot more than it actually was. But in honor of that movie coming out, I'm going to tell you all the real story of Cocaine Bear and how he became a legend in Kentucky. Now, personally, I first heard the story of Cocaine Bear from a page that I follow on Facebook called Kentucky for Kentucky. They sell like a lot of Kentucky-themed t-shirts, and they have an entire collection dedicated to Cocaine Bear. And of course, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, but yeah, that was the first time I ever, whenever I first saw them like post a t-shirt about Cocaine Bear, I was like, wait, what? Like, what is this? Because, like, honestly, who wouldn't have that reaction if you had never heard that story before? So I only had, like, a vague idea prior to this to this episode, but I knew the gist of what had happened. And just to note, I'm in no way affiliated with this movie. I feel like y'all know I'm not affiliated with jack shit other than Fear Skate Media Network. But, um, but yeah, I'm not affiliated with this movie. I just think the story... And how it came to be like a Kentucky legend is cool. Like icon. Not legend as in story. Legend as in like, oh, that's legendary. Just to to clarify. But, um, so, before we get into the real story, I did want to talk about the trailer for the movie. Because like I said, I didn't get to see the movie. I've watched the trailer. And um, it's embedded in one of the articles that are in the sources today so like if you haven't seen it you can go watch it there or you can look it up in the trailer we see the bear eat an entire brick of cocaine and he becomes like super high raging apex predator it seems like it's pretty comedic uh with like one part in particular for as an example shows a hiker saying we have such good luck with nature and then you see her get dragged off by cocaine bear so it's pretty intense, but like I said, it seems like it has like a layer of comedy, which I love when movies do that. As long as it's not like, there's a time and a place, right? Like As long as it's not like offensive. Um, I like it when things are a little bit more lighthearted because dark humor is a wonderful coping mechanism. I deal with it quite a bit. But um, 
So yeah, like, but like I said, Hollywood definitely changed the story up. The real one's actually a lot more sad. Um, so to get into the real story, let's go back to 1985. 1985. Sorry, I did not intend to do that, but it just happened. Um, now I have that song in my head. Sorry. Okay, so 1985. Andrew C. Thornton II was a former narcotics officer turned drug smuggler. And he was also the son of an elite Kentucky horse breeding family. Because if you don't know, Kentucky is very well known for their horses and horse racing. Um, Andrew C. Thornton II would smuggle drugs from Columbia into the United States by dropping packages of cocaine out of a plane over the Tennessee Valley in Georgia. On September 11th, 1985, Andrew Thornton and an accomplice flew in an autopiloted Cessna 404 Titan plane stuffed with cocaine. They dropped a load in Blairsville, Georgia, and then ditched 40 containers in the Chattahoochee National Forest, which apparently the FBI presumed was because it was too much weight for the plane. But um, then Thornton was supposed to parachute down out of the plane. Esquire, in the show, in the sources, phrases this as, quote, however, things did not go to plan. Despite being decked out in night goggles and a bulletproof vest, not forgetting his Gucci loafers, Thornton whacked his head on the tail of the plane and then his parachute failed to open. His body was found, along with $4,500 in cash, a couple of guns and knives, in a neighborhood in Knoxville, Tennessee. So yeah, his plan did not go the way he intended. And he did not survive that. The plane then crashed into the hills of North Carolina. The authorities were able to pin it on Thornton, as well as figure out the flight path, which led them to go and um, like they followed the flight path and they found nine duffel bags of cocaine. But unfortunately, the authorities were not able to find the rest. And I'm sure based on the title of this and everything we've said so far, you can probably guess who found the rest of it. On December 23rd, 1985, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation found a dead black bear surrounded by about 40 empty plastic bags that tested positive for cocaine residue. After an autopsy was performed on the bear, they found that he had ingested approximately 34 kilograms of cocaine, which had a street value of about $2 million. Apparently, the medical examiner said, quote, its stomach was literally packed to the brim with cocaine. There isn't a mammal on the planet that could survive that. And no, the bear did not immediately get high and start attacking all sorts of hikers and whatnot, like in like the silly movie trailer shows. But um, sadly, the bear very likely suffered a very painful death. He had cerebral hemorrhaging, respiratory failure, hyperthermia, renal failure, heart failure, and a stroke. The medical examiner even said, you name it, that bear had it. Very tragic. And honestly, I feel like that could get us into a whole tangent on the way that animals suffer because of human negligence because that's so sad that bear never should have come in contact with that but obviously this is not the time or the place for that but yeah that's absolutely awful i feel so horrible that that bear suffered like that um So that is what happened to the bear, just like in regards to actually consuming the cocaine. He just suffered and died. And um, 
which also apparently this bear was referred to as Pablo Escobar, which that's the first time I like doing research for this is the first time I ever heard this. And y'all know I love me some good wordplay. Um, so that's pretty silly and fun. But but the story doesn't end there, even though, unfortunately, that bear's life ended there. The story of cocaine bear does not end there. So because, like I said, he's a huge icon in Kentucky. But nowhere in the story did we mention Kentucky. We mentioned Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina. So how did he become such a big popular icon of the state of Kentucky? Because so far, the only connection is that Andrew C. So, excuse me, Andrew C. Thornton II came from a Kentucky prominent family, like horse breeding legacy. Well, that brings us to what happened after Pablo Escobar, the cocaine bear, died. After the autopsy was done, apparently the, the black bear still looked really good. And so it ended up being taxidermied and donated to the Chattahoochee River National Recreation Center as just like a regular black bear. Like the story was not attached to it. It was just a black bear, just like you would see anywhere else that has taxidermied animals. Like no one knew what had happened to him. Well, I, I, I take that back. Actually, some people knew. Some people knew. I guess it became like a tall tale going around or whatever. After a forest fire caused the Chattahoochee River National Recreation Center to pack up a lot of artifacts like Native American blankets and whatnot, um, they had to evacuate for the fire. Apparently, cocaine bear was a part of that. And uh, somehow in the process, some items were presumably stolen. And that was kind of confirmed whenever they ended up finding those Native American artifacts with a pawnbroker in Nashville, Tennessee. And... But Cocaine Bear was long gone. The pawnbroker apparently sold it to Waylon Jennings. Waylon Jennings apparently was not only a country music star, he was also a pretty big cocaine connoisseur and collected strange artifacts and like unique things. So Cocaine Bear was perfect for his collection with his history. And his collection, just like as a side note, his collection apparently included a pair of Willie Nelson's braids. Um, that somebody had like clipped off of him and gifted to Waylon Jennings in 1984. Um, Waylon owned the ring robe worn by Muhammad Ali, which which brings us back to Kentucky, but that's irrelevant to the story. Uh, so yeah, he he had a lot of very interesting items. Apparently, though, the story of how Waylon got the bear from the pawn shop and even how the pawn shop got it kind of varies. So who knows the real truth? It's just gone to the days i guess gone to the years but according to waylon jennings the pawn shop owner sought him out specifically because of the bear's history it says here on savingcountrymusic.com waylon jennings seized the opportunity to own it and ponied up the undisclosed asking price telling authorities later he would have never made the purchase if he knew the item was hot which is probably true because apparently, even though they were referred to as outlaws, and aside from his taste for narcotics, Waylon was otherwise a pretty law-abiding citizen. It says, from there, Waylon apparently knew about Andrew C. Thornton II, and they had a mutual friend with uh, like a Las Vegas like socialite, and, and the, the Las Vegas socialite knew about and was familiar with Andrew Thornton. And so Waylon Jennings gifted the bear to him. 
It did not go into details on what kind of familiarity the hustler had with Andrew Thornton. But at the very least, I would say um, he understood that the story about the bear consuming cocaine was probably true. That would be my guess. Complete speculation. And then after Wayland Jennings and that hustler both died, it was then purchased by an herbalist by the name of Zhu Tang in Reno, Nevada. And then when Tang died, the bear was left to his widow because that's what happens to your possessions when you die. Your spouse gets them or your family. And now we're going to pause right there. The bear is now in the possession of the Tang family in Reno, Nevada. We're going to hop back across the country for a minute, back to Kentucky. In 2011, Griffin Van Meter and Whit Heiler made headlines in Kentucky when they launched a campaign to replace Kentucky's tourism slogan, Unbridled Spirit, to Kentucky Kicks Ass. This apparently did not go over too well with the tourism department when one bureaucrat apparently said, those guys have a constituency of no one. Griffin recalled at the time, but those no ones bought a lot of Kentucky Kicks Ass t-shirts, which that's hysterical. I would love a Kentucky Kicks Ass t-shirt. I bet I could find one. Moving on. From there, the two created a brick and mortar store called the Kentucky Fun Mall, where they sold all sorts of fun home state items like Kentucky Derby winter horse apples, KFC fried drumsticks preserved in alcohol, t-shirts, etc. And apparently they also wanted the store to showcase unusual relics. And that's when they remembered the story of Cocaine Bear that they had heard. And so they hunted the taxidermied bear down, and they eventually found that it was in the possession of Tang's wife, and she they contacted her and she gladly gave them the bear. And in August 2015, Koba Bear was the newest resident of the Kentucky Fun Mall. RoadsideAmerica.com says, We've gotten comments like, we being Griffin and Witt, um, we've gotten comments like, my God, how can you celebrate that bear? Because people have confused the movie with real life. They're concerned about the people eaten by the bear, not understanding that the bear didn't eat anyone. Which, like, that happens a lot where in the movies and in the Hollywood version of stories change. Like, I'm sure we see that a lot in true crime. Um, so, yeah, they, the bear didn't actually eat anybody. It was just a tragedy but um but it says visitors to the fun mall see the true bear and understand that quote cokey was more cuddlesome than carnivorous you wouldn't think that a cocaine bear would be for all ages but kids love it said griffin offerings are left at cocaine bear's feet as they are the graves of royalty which are really beautiful said griffin one woman knitted a kilo of cocaine the fun mall even has a cocaine bear mascot suit worn on special occasions we do kind of a cocaine bear santa claus people can sit on cocaine cocaine bear's lap first let's go back to the woman knitting i absolutely love the creativity that some textile people have like i i think i've mentioned on here before i am not a textile creative i'm very much a writing perspective creative I get ideas for physical things, but they don't usually turn out great. Like I get lucky sometimes, like when I made like cosplay accessories for me and my kids. But even then, it's 
they aren't like the highest of quality, but people who can like knit and crochet can just make the best things. Like blankets are awesome, sweaters are awesome, scarves, whatever. But then when they like a kilo of cocaine, that's pretty hysterical. And I would love to see a picture of that. Also, the roadsideamerica.com goes on to say, Kentucky's liberal and peculiar peculiar marriage laws means that cocaine bear can perform nuptials at the fun mall, despite being a bear and also dead. Says as long as you feel that the person marrying you, like cocaine bear, has the authority, then that marriage can be binding here in Kentucky, said Griffin. Cocaine bear has yet to officiate any weddings at the time of this article anyways, but that could change at any moment. Could you imagine... Just think for a minute, you, you're invited to a wedding, and it's all serious. Everyone's dressed up and looks nice, and you take your seat, and they roll out a taxidermied bear that's, like, dressed up. Oh, my God. Um, but apparently, Griffin and Wit are attentive parents to Cocaine Bear. The Fun Mall's furry showpiece is given regular cleanings and outfit changes, and a sign cautions visitors against hugging or petting the old bear. Which, like, that's pretty standard with any taxidermy animal in public. Um, dangling from its neck is a flashy placard that gives the bear's proper name, Pablo Escobar. And in case visitors get the wrong impression, ends with the warning, don't do drugs or you'll end up dead and maybe stuffed like poor cocaine bear. And if you didn't put it together already, the Kentucky Fun Mall is the company Kentucky for Kentucky that I mentioned at the start of the episode. Which, honestly, I somehow missed. When I followed that page, probably years ago at this point, I didn't know who they were. I just saw like the fun t-shirts and whatnot and followed the page. And um, I can't remember what t-shirt it was that I saw. I wonder if it was a Kentucky kicks ass one. Regardless, though, I followed them for years and it wasn't until I was doing the research for this that I realized that that's the same as the Kentucky Fun Mall. So yeah, that is how Cocaine Bear became a Kentucky icon because he now resides in Kentucky. And also, I just, <laughs> at the start of that Roadside America piece that I was reading up from, um, it started with this, like, opening paragraph, and I just thought it was hilarious. I couldn't find a way to, like, organically put this bit into the notes, and so I just figured at the end, I'm just going to tell you guys that I really liked this opening paragraph from that article. It says, Kentucky Blue Bloods want you to associate their, their estate with thoroughbred racehorses or bourbon or even Abraham Lincoln. They would rather not add Cocaine Bear to the roster of Kentucky immortals, but it's too late now. Cocaine Bear has become a Kentucky icon and a Hollywood celebrity thanks to Whit Heiler and Griffin Van Meter. And honestly, like I said, because I never knew about the Kentucky Fun Mall, I just knew about Kentucky for Kentucky. The next time I go visit my family in Kentucky, which hopefully is soon, um, I want to see if I can make a trip to visit Pablo Escobar. So I'll have to keep you guys posted on that. I already have Blake and Danny agreeing to go with me. So we got to go. And there you have it. That is the story of Cocaine Bear. Uh, it's honestly, as I said at the beginning, it's quite tragic what happened. Because animals suffer all the time due to human negligence. And I can't imagine going through all the things that that poor bear went through in that short amount of time between consuming that and him dying. I would assume it was short. Um, but I'm glad that even though he suffered, he has his own little legacy now. Um, like, I know maybe some people think it's weird that <laughs> there's this huge 
um, I don't want to say movement. That's not the right word. I don't, can't think of the word that I'm thinking of. But like this huge like popularity, I guess you could say, around the stuffed bear that met this tragic demise. And even though like, yeah, he didn't kill anybody, some people probably are still like, why are we doing this? Like that's horrible. Um, I feel like it's nice that he was able to still do something. I mean, I don't know. That sounds so dumb because at the end of the day, an animal died needlessly. But I, something about it just seems nice to me that the way the way that um, Kentucky Fun Mall, Cocaine Bear, Pablo Escobar, whatever. Um, let me know if any of you all have seen the movie and what you all thought of it, and I'll try to see it at some point. Who knows? Life is busy. But um, we have a lot of fun things coming up in the future, in the near future, uh, in that first and foremost being that our next episode – Yes. Okay. Sorry. I had to check the calendar. Our next episode actually falls on GABB's birthday. Two years of this podcast, if you can believe it. Uh, I can't. I don't know how I'm still here. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing for that yet, but I'll figure out something to make it special because it actually falls on the actual date. Last year we did a big party. I don't see that happening this year, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I'll figure out something to make it special. If you all have any suggestions, reach out to me, gabbpodcast at gmail.com, gabbpodcast on the socials. And yeah, until next time, listeners, stay spooky. Bye. Thank you for listening to Ghosts in the Attic's Bodies in the Basement, a Fearscape Media podcast. Music by Stephen Temperley. Artwork by Laura Ramsey. Find us online at fearscapemedia.com forward slash G-A-B-B podcast. Or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at G-A-B-B podcast. Or email us, G-A-B-B podcast at gmail.com. Thank you.